What's up guys, this is Corey Baker from Baker Forge and Tool. In my business, we do tons of heavy grinding every single day, and we needed a grinder that could take abuse and keep on trucking without slowing down billet production. The Ameri Braid Variable Speed 2x72 is just that. All heavy duty parts and framing with well thought out accessories that are easy to use and not bogged down with lots of tiny parts. By far the best accessory item that Ameribraid sells is their surface grinding attachment. It is absolutely foolproof and the best in the industry. With quick release magnet system, there is no prying your workpiece off the platen. Very fast to slap a billet or a knife onto the table, engage magnets, and start surfacing with precise increments. On top of all of this, their customer support is outstanding. Eric and Kevin are always available and fast to help with any situation. If you're in the market for a top-of-the-line grinder or maybe just an accessory to add to your existing setup, go to Ameribraid.com and use the code HUSTLE100 for 100 bucks off any grinder package. All right, next up, the Hustle & Grind Podcast. What's up, everybody? We're back again. It's me, your host, Ryan of Ryan Chadbourne Knifeworks. I'm here with Noah Bloomberg of the Enneat River Forge, and we are kicking off Sick Guest September. That was a mouthful. With Fingal Ferguson. How's it going, man? It is truly hey. an honor to have you on the show. Ah, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to this. Yeah, this is going to be a good time. Um, so you're in Ireland. You're I can't pronounce the town, uh, but it's in Cork Skull. County. Skull. Skull County Cork. Yeah, West Cork. Yeah, okay. And uh, other than making knives, you make cheese, correct? Do a little bit of everything. We have um, we have a farm and the, the, a, uh, like. we do cured meats and we make the salamis and everything there and the cheese. And then there's the knives is sort of a thing on the side. Farmer's markets. A little bit of everything, yeah. Living the dream. That's... Uh... Well, <laughs> You sort of many tongues in the fire, you know, man of many skills and master of none, you know, giving it all a go. <laughs> They're all sort of intertwined. It's like my parents, basically my dad is, is like, I'm the, I'm the fifth generation on the farm. And my mom, um, when they met, she started making the cheese. And, um, and then years later, as I kind of grew up, I helped my dad build a smoker on the farm to smoke the cheese. And that's where I started playing around with the, the salamis and everything else. And that kind of grew legs. And then through all of these things of making the food, all these friends in our lives were all chefs and food producers. And then that led to a sort of like, um, I suppose led me to falling in love with food and, and, and that therefore led to the knife, which is the tool of the trade. So they're, they're kind of all intertwined and um, yeah, do they kind of perpetually kind of in, intermingle. And so, yeah, just kind of led to, led to a wonderful chaotic, <laughs> chaotic scenario. Yeah. You, you do seem to be one of the, one of the busiest guys in the industries with uh with that rid ridiculous amount of things that you do. But I'm curious where you, you talked about, it's just kind of led into the knives, but where, I mean, what was your first knife? Like what, 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 uh, what drew you to the, to, to build that first one and where did that come from? I suppose I was butchering. I mean, so in, in my teens, I was kind of already into this whole process of sort of doing the, the meat curing and the butchery. So what I ended up doing was sort of wanted to find out how to sharpen a knife. And a, a great a great character, a guy called Rory Connor, who um, who actually trained with Bob Loveless uh, uh, over in the States. He came mm -hmm. back to Ireland after a stint of that and was probably, you know, to me, one of the, the first and main guys to really be the, the sort of the chef knife hero of Ireland to kind of like do that handmade um, chef knife. 
And he was the guy that I was remember looking up to him and it's kind of like, if we want a special gift for somebody, what should we give them? And it was always like, let's get a Rory, let's Rory, like get, go to Rory and get him to make a knife for them. Um, so I kind of had him on a pedestal as this guy that made this incredible product. Now, when you make food, you know, if you're a writer, you deserve a really good pen. If you're, you know, th- these kind of, these things that kind of make sense uh, to, to me that the, the tool of the trade, the knife was this fascinating kind of, thing that was multifaceted so when i when i started farting around and trying to learn how to sharpen and sort of and basically fix these knives that I'd inherited from my my uncle and just kind of that led to me probably traveling around and every time i saw an opportunity to do it i would do more so the, a guy called owen bush in the uk in kent i did a workshop with him when i was farming in new zealand when i was quite young part of the agricultural cert in ireland you have to do work experience so i, did, I farmed in new zealand and there was a great place in barrytown in the very south of new zealand where i went to make a knife there and then along comes the internet and youtube and all that kind of side of things where i basically was able to research more and uh, yeah, just I, I just got more and more into it, and and you know, in the beginning, in a very cocky way, thought I was making these fantastic knives, and I was being complimented by wonderful friends. And now looking back, they're pieces of shit, but they were part of my adventure. I, I think I think we we all have kind of had that experience where you know you've never made anything in your life, and so then all of a sudden you're making something, and your friends are all like, "Oh, this is so great," and they want to be encouraging yeah. and they want to be nice, but. You look back on I think them now. They, and I think like... they meant it as well. And to look back, I mean, I think maybe just the more we do it, the more we overfocus on, on the minutia and stuff like that. I mean, even I suppose like there is this. I mean, like I, I even saw I was I was up staying with friends today. I was catering um, an event with some really close friends I've known forever. And I was staying in their house last night. I, I've got all of four hours sleep. So if my podcast gets very fucking weird towards the end, it's a lack of sleep is <laughs> probably part of it. But what happened was that I was actually seeing the knives that I was giving away to my closest dear friends and they still have them. And one of them was like a, a sort of a tie off of a, an old plow or sort of a bit of farm machinery that was sort of forged out, ha- hammered flat. And I kind of then ground it all down and made it. It's his favorite knife. And I actually can see it now, the charm of it. And these little things that I grasped onto that have transformed and rolled over over time to become maybe a signature that ties all the knives together over time. There's always something you cling onto from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think I see those now and I look back and kind of go, I'm really glad that that knife is with a close friend. because yeah it's not the perfect knife it's not the perfect knife but it's part of my adventure and having a great friend and seeing it every time it's a reminder of the beginnings that that's a very healthy way to look at it because i think a lot of us are are you know we we tend to look at some of our first knives and they're out in the world and it's like well i want to i want these back like can i buy these back and i'll make you a new one you know something like that because they just kind of want to hide it you know but, I tried that. that. I tried in, that. Do you know what? A lot of those knives I got back and fixed, I fucked them up. And I spent hours and days then undoing my compulsive urge to try and make it better, actually fucking it up. And I suddenly realized, just leave that alone. You know, I just, just don't touch it. It is something that's there. You know, give them another one. Update it. Do sure. whatever you want to do. If go. it's that bad, get something to replace it. But I think, you know, by actually ch- tweaking the handle, you suddenly find that you grind into the huge burl hole for the tang that you sort of, you know, may have got. And then you're back to square one. This piece that actually meant a lot to them 
you know, because it was an early knife of yours is suddenly now maybe unrecoverable. So I, I actually would recommend to anybody, maybe, unless it's tiny superficial tweaks you're going to make to a knife, don't, don't go big. Don't go, don't go to town on your old school knives. You know, maybe update a friend's knife, but yeah, that, leave it at that because I've been burned. <laughs> That's uh, solid advice there. But yeah, I just like the way that you were, you know, looking at it as, as important. You know, this was first steps. This hmm. was you know, part of my learning experience, accepting that and, you know, using that as, as inspiration to, to keep moving forward. I think it's a very yeah. healthy and, uh, I've lost the word there. It's a good way to look at it. And it is, it's, it's helpful moving forward. I think. Mm. It, yeah, no, they're, they're all fun. It's, it's a good example of how our learning is incremental too, because if you look back at a knife you made four years ago, five years ago, or in the beginning, it, you can see like in your mind, you're like, how did I not know how to fix that in that moment? Mm. You know, cause you, yeah. we're not consciously realizing in the moment that we've learned a new thing. It's just a gradual progression of skill set. Yeah. And you know I've got a bunch of, my often, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, do you know that that funny thing where people often say, do you find it hard to let go of a knife? You know, that there's one that, oh, you knew I wanted to keep that one. I mean, I've never found that scenario. It's always like free it out to the world, that knife and making that taught you something that you're going to roll forward to the next one because the next one could always be better. So, you know, there's always knowing that if you are going, if you're looking at this as a permanent, so this, it's just don't ever want to hoard one. You know, there's it, they're all learning blocks and curves to, to get, you know, next I'm going to recurve that a little bit more. There's always something that you should look at and focus as being uh, um, uh, something that you can improve on and, and, you know, just embrace that bit. Yeah. That's, I uh, always end up keeping the screwed up ones that you can't send out. My sister yeah. has a huge collection of my fucked up knives as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I've, I've heard a lot of guys say that and I've just never felt the inclination to keep one of my knives uh, I, I even ones that I'm super proud of. It's like, well, no, the, the reason that I made this is to get it out of my shop and to make another one. Like that's, yeah. that's the yeah. point. That's I, I owe a lot of friends, a lot of favors. I mean, I'm just in that scenario where I, 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 I love that as well. I mean, I'm one of those people who loves to give things as well. I love to get things. I love to give things, <laughs> you know? but there is this thing where there's that pleasure, you know, you know, when you buy the ultimate present for a friend, you, I can't oh, yeah. sit in it. You know, I always like, can I give it to you now? Can I give it to you now? Um, and I think that that that's that that anytime there's a favor, I'm a great believer in karma. You know that wonderful thing. So I, like giving it out to the world, whatever you put out into the world comes back to you. And uh, I think that's something I, I definitely believe in, and I have found it a thousand times over. So I always feel like you know there are those cases if I have a knife and I have been sitting on it. To sell it is one thing, but to give it to somebody and don't tell them there's something wrong with it. That doesn't have to be said. But if there is something to you that you you don't feel right about selling it, then yeah, it, it's the it is the ultimate gift to somebody, and depending on what that issue is, yeah, it it, it goes out there. Next thing you know, it'll, it'll embarrass you in three years' time anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, that's I mean, a, that's something that uh, that's something we we've talked about on this podcast before, which is you know the ultimate joy in life doesn't come from doing things for yourself; it comes from mm. doing things for other people. And I mean, oh, that's, totally. I mean, that's something that you know as a young person, it took me a long time to figure that out. You know, people, you know, you buy things and you're just never satisfied. It's like, Oh, if I just had this next thing, if I just had this next pay raise and things like that, the most joy that I've found in my life just comes from being able to do things for other people. And I think, you know, being a part of this, this craft has really allowed me to do that more than even in the rest of my life, especially with the, being a part of the community and the different, you know, fundraisers that we've done over the years and, and different, you know, stuff like that. I, I've yeah. given away tons of knives and I love it. 
Mm. I think that yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It is. It is. It's a good thing to do. Very good thing to do. And also, just I mean, if you have the chance to actually make them and 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 get that productive thing. But I was yeah. There's um, if if you have them, set them free. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. If you have them, set them free. So I just wanted to ask real quick. You mentioned that you were in New Zealand for farming. How did that go, come about? So in, in Ireland, the part of the, the the whole process, I mean, calling a spade a spade or, or keeping it simple, like there's a whole thing where, where inheritance of a farm involves sort of having the agricultural cert. Um, the green cert has been nicknamed. And, and if you don't, there's a sort of a higher inheritance tax. So it's a very clever way a long time ago of, of, of getting farmers to actually go out and educate themselves. Because I mean, I, I mean, a lot of my friends I know growing up, you're in this situation where you're like, I'm just going to, you know, I don't need to go to school. I'm just going to take over the farm. I'm not going to do anything. So it was like making all these um, young farmers go through education and, and, and university and all that sort of things. So it involves one year in college, a, a good stint of work experience, followed by sort of um, sort of weekend workshops and everything else, and then closing it out. So it's more or less a three-year session to to get the the greens are completed. And after the year of college, um, agricultural college, I went off to and I, I met this guy came to a school, and he was a um, farmer leaf kind of a guy to hire us for farm relief in new zealand so basically you fly over there and you go and help the dairy farms um and you basically travel around as a gun for hire and that way you get to see the rest of the planet and sort of go for this work experience see the other side of the world and you know that great thing you know the expression don't shit in your own doorstep there's nothing better than <laughs> shitting on the other side of the planet you know <laughs> so i got on the plane i flew over there and i think i worked for eight months and kind of blew it all in one weekend you know <laughs> sort of traveling around afterwards and but it was a great experience I, I i literally i was in my sort of 19 to 20 years old and i went from leaving our farm where we milk kind of 100 cows to going over to start milking 500 cow herds and sort of this huge sense of scale in a beautiful part of the world and um, you know worked like a madman and came home and it really opened my eyes you know you know go there a boy come back a man i, I definitely didn't come back a man but it was one step closer <laughs> still not a man <laughs> Very cool. That's a very interesting concept because, I mean, here in the United States, we don't have anything like that. You know, there's there's farms and orchards around me, especially that have been in families for generations. Yeah, and same in Ireland. Nothing yeah, like no, that. no, no land changes hands in Ireland. It's basically like the land is this important, essential part of us here in Ireland. But I think something crazy figure, like anything from 30 to 40% of farms can change hands every year in New Zealand, because what they do, they have this interesting concept for anybody agriculturally minded. I always love this. It's called share milking. What they do is, is that if you go out there and you work for somebody, they pay you to kind of do the work. Um, and then you, if you do all the, the work on the farm and somebody else owns the land, owns the cows, then you get 25% of the milk check. Now, if you own the herd and you do all the work, you get 50% of the milk check. And if you get to a point where you save enough money and you own the herd and own the you know and and, and own the land and somebody else's work, you know, so it's it's this percentage of of property. So everybody's always trying to upscale and get to the point where eventually you retire with your land and the cows and somebody else is doing the work and you're basically maintaining the farm. And there's constantly sort of this changing and tweaking around because it's a huge amount of work and it's it's um this, the, it's more the world market than a sort of the subsidized European style of farming. Um, but it's, uh, it, it was, a, it was an interesting concept. Very cool. That That is interesting to, I mean, we don't, 
especially here in the United States. I mean, you mentioned that you live kind of in what would be called the uh, the Texas of Ireland. Well, United States is, <laughs> is, is the uh, it's the United States of the world, which is we're very navel gazing. Uh, you know, we uh, we're very very interested in the United States and nowhere else. So we don't get these pictures of um, you know what it's like in, in different countries. You know, we know how it works here, and we have no idea how it works in other countries. So it's always one of my favorite things is to learn about those other things and, and figure out how the rest of the world works because mm. it, it can be really eye-opening and, and it sounds well, the like world is, the, the world is by far becoming a smaller place isn't it I mean if you think about it through social media and everything else even these conversations we're having now so casually using technology you know, you know, the, you know, the, the remember that exp- that whole thing the seven degrees of separation I mean fuck mm-hmm. it's two or three degrees of separation now yeah, yeah. You know, no. So I, mean, I, I feel like we, we we know more about the world. Our eyes are open so much more, and and in such a fast kind of accelerated way. I think it, I'm, I'm kind of glad for that. But um, it's the it's the hands on and eyes on experience is sometimes the thing that we lack. We feel we understand and know everything, but actually nobody's ever got their hands in and stuck in, and that's where you really learn. Yeah. Yes, um, I think it was Hemingway who said. Uh, travel is the enemy of prejudice and it, it really made me think and it's like you know the, the more that you see of other cultures and understand the more it you realize that it's we're all we're all the same people it's just mm-hmm. we've grown up with these different cultures and understanding those is kind of the doorway to acceptance and and whatnot and so i i I would love to do something along those same lines. Oh yeah, I mean, it sounds yeah. like an amazing you want to go back experience. and slap the shit out of yourself as a kid for for, for not realizing things that you know. yeah. But that's growing up, isn't it? You have to really embarrass yourself and do the stupid things, kind of growing up to to actually vow to never do it again, um, and those sort of experiences. But yeah, it, it is it is an important. <laughs> yeah, our generation too is in a weird spot in the timeline of the universe because we're coming from a landline type phone like you were out until the streetlights came on you know what i mean there was no screen interaction you only knew the people around you to now like you said where you're in ireland i'm in maine and noah's on the west coast so we're like we're like two guests away from being global you know <laughs> yeah. it's like and we're just shooting the shit uh, yeah. like speaking of, tell, me, tell up, me tell me tell me about your week Look, this is it T- tell me all about what you guys you know how did everything go? Well, you you were working on a knife. You just showed me there before the show started. Oh uh, yeah, that one I finished a while ago. But uh, I've been cleaning up my shop today, wrapping up some projects, doing some horrible leather sheaths because I'm not very good at leather. Um, hmm. but, Do you know? Is it one of those things you'd like to get, or would you be just as happy being able to outsource that if you had a good neighbor, a guy, somebody close to you that's good with leather? I'd rather outsource it. Hmm. Because believe it or not, that the, t- today there's a great friend who is actually traveling around the country. His name's Garvin de Brewer, which is quite honestly the sexiest name of the planet. So Garvin, <laughs> Garvin was with his girlfriend driving around West Cork, and he's he's oh he's a he's a total hunk who kind of plays rugby and did all this kind of stuff. But he's a gifted leather worker who also is a fantastic engineer and multiple things. But he he thinks different. So I met him years ago working on a project for. Uh, to make a knife case for Francis Malman, which had something like th- nearly 30 knives in it. It was this mad piece with this interesting concept of being able to hang on a wall like a painting. And he ended up wrapping the knife case around a tree and all the knives had to be exposed, but yet hang in this case. And Garvin um, just l- works with that really thick, chunky leather. And, and it's very raw, simple and over-engineered in a beautiful way. 
And he literally came down today with a, a bunch of other experimental knife cases and sort of different concepts of, 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 of it. And it I love uh, you go to his workshop. It's a very clever thing. When you immerse yourself and focus entirely on one thing, you know, and the, Thing, magical things will kind of happen. Like I, I, when I went to his workshop, it, you know, beautiful wooden workshop, cupboards and stuff everywhere. The hinges for his cupboards are just a perfect square of leather with the screws in a nice kind of way. Literally, just the square acts like a perfect hinge. So all his hinges and all these cupboards and lockers are just, instead of being a metal hinge, it's a piece of leather screwed from the door to the thing. It works perfectly. Very thick, chunky leather. It's It was... um. You know, when you actually sometimes the simplest solution for something has been under your nose the entire time and it just takes that little brief moment to kind of go, aha, I have it. And uh, he's one of those guys who has those moments. <laughs> I think a lot. Noah and I are both mechanics. So I think I think we probably have those moments quite a bit. There's been quite mm. a few times I've tried to diagnose something and I beat myself up over it mm. so bad and then just, oh, there's a fuse right there. Oh, it's the fuse. Yeah. Oh, no big deal. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just have the. Well, oh, I would, I would have bypassed that fucking fuse hours ago. <laughs> 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 what fuse? So yeah, actually, so, uh, I just. Oh, go ahead, man. Go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say, I did get something cool this week. So I they fired a kid that I worked with, so I decided to pick up more time because the shop's been slow, anyways. But part of the fringe benefits of my job is I get all the abandoned chainsaws and stuff because huh. we have to we have to clean out. So literally the back of my I have a Subaru wagon and the whole back of it. I've just been driving around with 40 chainsaws in the back of my car for That's but spooky and brilliant all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I've huffed way too much gas fumes this week. Like I, get, <laughs> I, I get in, I put all the windows down and don't light a cigarette for a couple minutes. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I gotta find a spot in here for him. Hmm. but that'll be cool Back but there the is old... some contraption this is this is like are you, are you going to convert them or fix them is there some is there some amazing thing you can use a, a, a retired chains for for oh i'm sure i could figure something but usually i'll uh i'll ebay them so the ones that are worth fixing i'll fix and the ones that oh, aren't yeah. i'll just put them back together and sell them as parts and uh, hmm. it's just a you know way that my do, boss Ryan. can like give us some some breadcrumbs you know Ryan, what you should what? do, what should do is you should rig up one of those that are uh, one of the higher powered ones, rig it up into a chainsaw winch so that you can anchor one side to a tree and the other side rigged up to a chain so that you can haul things can with you, the chainsaw. Can you do a two by 72 chainsaw grinder? <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> that's go. a good idea. Gas powered <laughs> grinder. Yeah, put like a, a, a foot, foot pedal, pedal kind of type. Yeah, <laughs> yeah foot pedal throttle so I can rev it up with my foot. <laughs> Yeah, you've already got your mask on and everything as the fumes come fucking crazy out of the thing. I breathe in so much of that shit on a daily basis. It's like I'm immune yeah. to it now. That's why I'd never yeah. get sick. I'm pretty sure because like viruses get in my body and they just die. And <laughs> fine. That's Virus a great idea. What actually. the hell is this? Even <laughs> just for like the, the social media lulls, you know. I could well it's a mobile uh, one. You you don't have to bring the power leads with you. The highly mobile two by seventy two grinder. Yeah, I could weld a uh, five eighth shaft onto a clutch drum. Like I could put two. But clutch then, drums. does it have the power? By the time you go through multiple mul multiple cogs, is one of those things where deceptively it sort of doesn't have the torque. 
maybe depends on you the know, saw. If you, do, if you do lean into it, then yeah, it depends. Yeah, exactly. You know, big enough fucking chainsaw, <laughs> <laughs> multiple chainsaws, but you can't really synchronize them then, will you? No, you have to go end to end to synchronize them. We've done that a couple. You have of times. to fail miserably in the beginning to at least find out. <laughs> It'll go. And it'll all be great social media content. <laughs> That's yeah, true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Next thing it. you know, Eric and Kevin are going to send me something. I heard the podcast and I just made this on the CNC and they it mounts right on. It's perfect. Probably. Chainsaw powered. I'm, they've probably already thought of it. Anytime we try and come <laughs> up with something good, they've already thought of it. Um, speaking of our sponsors, we should probably shout out uh, Lawrence real quick. Yeah. Hustle & Grind is sponsored by Maritime Knife Supply. Whether you're looking for steel, abrasives, handle material, forges, epoxy, or anything for making in general, Maritime Knife Supply has you covered. And in the U.S. or Canada, they ship faster than the great Cobra Chicken Goosesses that their country is known for. Go to Maritime Knife Supply, and when you buy a 10-pack of belts, get 10% off. And tell them we sent you, eh? Thanks, Luke. <laughs> eh? Everybody go check out Maritime Knife Supply. We buy stuff from them constantly, so you should too, because Lawrence is the man and oh. he carries everything. Yeah, I met yeah. him I met him at the at the at the the Blade show, which was actually, you know, that was my first time going to Blade. And it was amazing to sort of meet and catch up with all these people um that I've just been interacting with for years it was kind of mind-blowing as well to kind of you know i hadn't i hadn't left ireland in something like seven years and um to to fly over to atlanta and there's a great friend who has a barbecue restaurant heirloom barbecue which is around the corner from from blade um he was kind of the nerve center and uh, I, I traveled over with um hugo byrne and blenheim forge and holly loftus and just basically it was it was a whirlwind of excitement through the entire process but meeting meeting the guys actually i have to admit it, that was that was probably a highlight of this year has been a fantastic year actually and that was one of the highlights yeah i was i was pretty stoked to meet you i was very surprised how tall you are um, <laughs> I get that you can never get it's, yeah you can never yeah, no, gauge like somebody's height. Like Noah, Noah's a lot taller than I thought he would be too. And a couple of other of our friends are a, a way shorter than I thought they'd be. But Jeremy. Um, but yeah, it was a good time. How'd you feel about the Atlanta airport? I didn't know. I mean, in, in which way? I heard it's kind of big and there was very strange to have that whole subway experience underneath it all. But I mean, yeah. I was probably hung, hung over and just kind of going with the flow at that stage. So it was all part of the adventure. I've never, I've, I've flown cross country a couple of times. I've been in JFK, you know, fairly big airports. I've never been in one that was as massive as Atlanta. I guess it doesn't it's the feel massive. Air. That's the funny thing. I did not pick up on the massive element of it, although the subway kind of went for ages. But I mean, like Heathrow's kind of big in London, and you know. But I mean, we have. I mean, where I am, we have the tiniest airport. When I grew up, you'd go up to this airport that was kind of like just like almost popping into the shop. And by the way, there's an airplane out the back that's going to take you somewhere. It was like this tiny <laughs> sort of little place, and I. I I remember this this childhood image. Like I remember queuing up for the the passport control coming back home and the passport guy was looking at your passports waving through every waving through waving through and then one guy came along and said where's your passport and he says I, i'm sorry i don't have it do you have a driver's license uh, uh sorry i don't have it 
do you have any ID? He says, no, no, son. I should grant. Go on. <laughs> he waved him through. <laughs> it was like this tiny little airport where everybody's just so laid back. And uh, I mean, it's changed a bit over the years. And now we have this huge airport that goes nowhere, which is kind of pointless. But um, yeah, no, hey, I've I, got one of those. I'm not. A f- I, 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 yeah, I have I have seven uh, like we're a family of seven. I've got five kids. And I my idea of, of putting everybody onto a plane is probably myself my wife's idea of hell we both work quite hard so i think the you know a holiday would be a fun idea but not the travel with those numbers and yeah. we're lucky that like i mean in summer this is a beautiful place where everybody comes to for 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 ho- the holiday season so I mean, we don't ever tend to go anywhere and i think anywhere nice to go to in winter is way too far away but um there's a very funny moment because our kids we we they they never really leave the farm i'm blessed that my parents at the home farm which is down below us we live kind of up bit up, up a hill my my two sisters are kind of there we've one big giant commune and there's always stuff going on and the, they're in school in the village my wife's family are kind of a house in skulls so they kind of pop to the other side of the village that's where they can stay so we're they're very kind of localized and, and running around here and they know the place very well very feral children and <laughs> what happened was that <laughs> we brought them we brought them up to the to, to the to the you know the two-hour drive to the local city cork and I remember they met their first escalator it's like, what is this thing? It was like we brought them to Euro Disney. They spent half an hour playing with an escalator. <laughs> we finally tore them away from this. And they're like walking around this, these like very large buildings, which isn't very big. And uh, they found an elevator before we got back to the car. That was another half an hour of, of like <laughs> playing around. So we're, I think myself and my wife are agreeing that we maybe have to educate our children to the world a little bit more. Socialize them a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, prepare them. There's some, there's some crazier shit out there. That's for sure. Yeah. So <laughs> usually we do a, a segment uh, on the show called Florida Man or Florida hmm. Man or Fraud. But we weren't sure if you would understand the reference of Florida. No, Man. I, I I've been listening to your shows, so I know exactly. I mean, I may miss on some of the innuendos and and the little catches, like catches. But uh, yeah, mostly meth and Florida man. Are, are, are <laughs> yeah, uh, Toby well, from UK Knife Maker Supplies and the Fire and Seal podcast suggested when we have a European guest or a foreign guest on, we should do Where in the World is America, man? Because that's how. <laughs> I like that. He said that's how the rest of the world views us, is uh, how we view guys from Florida. I know. I know. <laughs> well, look, I, I, don't think you des- I don't think you deserve it. And nobody, I mean, in our little small countries where we all think we're so fucking special, we, you know, one doesn't tend to kind of realize how big America is. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're huge. Yeah. All those things you described with the differences between Irish and New Zealand farming, those mm. all happen separately within, within the country the US. yeah because yeah, we've, we've got the big factory farms and then we've got the little guy down the street you know mm. um, and long may that last yeah it takes all types in the world to make it go around you know yeah i would much rather get strawberries from a roadside stand than you know from my grocery store but from a florida man i don't know on meth at the side of the road. <laughs> Sprinkles his meth over. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm going to get everybody hooked. So are we going to chance this or do you have a well, plan B? What, how are we going to roll with this? It's either so, gonna, I'm going to embarrass the shit out of myself or this is going to be fucking brilliant. <laughs> I get every question wrong. So there's no way you could feel bad. Okay, cool. Well, I, so I actually, um, I wasn't going to do Florida Man because I wasn't sure if you'd understand the references. So we're just going to play a little game of fake news. So I got three headlines okay. here. I'll just read the headlines and you guys just get to guess uh, which one is the fake headline. 
It's time for some fake news. Jeez. Police warn that flushing drugs could create hyper-aggressive meth alligators. Police say man with no hands and no legs is armed and on the run. A man admitted to the hospital with 25 plastic toy horses inserted in his rectum. Doctors have described his condition as stable. <clears throat> All right, gentlemen, it is time for some fake news. Three headlines are in front of me. It is your job and all you lovely listeners at home to guess which one is fake. We begin. Naked guy adopts robot dog during SWAT standoff. Uh, Florida man buys 20 20 millimeter electronic Gatling gun pulled from Navy fighter jet. And Georgia man arrested for stealing his neighbor's entire front porch. Oh, man. I feel like those Mm. are all real. They could all happen. (laughs) Go again. One more time. All right. So we start off with a naked guy adopts a robot dog during the SWAT standoff. It's like, you know, like the little robot, like bomb squad dogs that they have. Okay. I'm talking about. Oh, the sniffer, the the thing, the things like uh, number five is alive kind of type thing. Yeah. Yeah, The Boston Dynamics. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Uh, and then a Florida man buys a 20 millimeter electronic Gatling gun pulled from a Navy fighter jet and a Georgia man, uh, arrested for stealing his neighbor's entire front porch. <laughs> Jeez. See the bomb dog I know is real. I saw the video and it was quite mm-hmm. hilarious. The guy, he, he's at a standoff in a motel in the. It's like a Boston Dynamics robot dog is in front of the door and he flings the door open and like bear hugs the dog and takes it in the room and shuts the door behind him. <laughs> and so the that Gatling one's real. Gun. Yeah. What's the story of the Gatling gun? I didn't actually kind of, I can't picture the Gatling gun. Um, hang on. Let me see if I can. Out of a fighter jet. Out of a fighter jet. See if I can hold like, up the picture. That, without... that screams Arnold Schwarzenegger and Predator kind of type thing. Is that what it is? <laughs> okay can you even lift that fucking thing yeah i'd buy that it's on like a giant car hoist type thing if there's any any navy people who are listening to this they know exactly what we're looking at okay or air force um, i suppose hmm. and then stealing and then stealing a porch an entire front porch an entire front porch in one go or incrementally oh i don't know this is, I just got the headline. Because <laughs> maybe a guy went away for a week and he had time to dismantle the porch. <laughs> you know, True. Or the way that I would go about it is I would just hook up some toe straps to that sucker, hang, hook it up to my truck and just yeet that sucker off is what yeah, I would no, do. If I was think, stealing things, think, things are built different here in Ireland. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't move. Probably, probably made out of bricks in Ireland, I'm guessing. Yeah, hey, oh, big time. Stones. Lots of stones. Yeah. <laughs> Hmm. Okay, uh, you go. You go for it, buddy. I I, I don't know. I'm I gonna think go Gatling gun because I, I didn't understand it the most, so I'm just going to blame the one I don't understand. I agree with the Gatling gun because, like, I can't even have a rifle with a barrel under 16 inches. How are you gonna? How's some guy gonna go buy a machine gun that shoots bullets the size of soda cans at six thousand rounds a minute? Can't just buy that say, shit. I, I couldn't even afford to feed it for one the second. Ammo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I say that, but one of our local gun shops has a fighter jet on their front lawn. Okay. But is, is that buyer's awesome. regret, though? They, they're convinced that they <laughs> buyer's regret with that one. 
<laughs> All right. So you guys are both going with the Gatling gun as the uh, as the fake story. Final yeah. answer. All right. You're right. Good job. Guys. Hey. Okay. So yeah. So I I constantly get these. Oh, let me just quick shout out here to the people who sent this to me. Uh, Luke Johnson sent me the Gatling gun one. And I'm sorry to everyone else who sent it to me. He just sent it to me first, okay? Because that one was sent to me, I think, at least seven times. Um, and the front porch was sent uh, in by Minuteman Ford. So thank you, sir. Appreciate uh, everyone contributing to the show. And um, yeah, so the I have to research these to find out which ones are real and which ones aren't. And the only reference that I could find to the Gatling gun one was on a meme page and so there was no credible source that i could find for it and the picture that's there it just looks like it's been pulled out for service you know it's on like a service cart like like somebody just snapped a picture while they were at work on an air force base or a navy base and made a meme out of it so we have have an expression my uh, an expression that my father's always used which is never let the truth get in the way of a good story (laughs) exactly yes i've heard that that's what we do on this show. <laughs> and I mean, let's be realistic. Our military just dumps all the old equipment in the ocean. So <laughs> we, we don't have a military. I think we, we have a very efficient military, but it's tiny. <laughs> we don't have very, very expensive toys either. I think the original um, Irish fleet was made up of three planes that were called Faith, Hope, and Charity. I think those. Was... <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about your farm. So hmm. not people like myself, but other people on the internet, and we all know that the internet is a very evil place at times, <laughs> yes. um, seem to look at farming as unsustainable, as cruel to animals, or um, just harsh on the land that, that farming hmm. takes place on. How do you approach your farming in particular and how would you re- rebut because i mean there are silly people that i've seen on the internet who they don't even like wool because wool is, is harmful to sheep and it's like well no it's actually the I, most I sustainable that, product it, you could have so yeah ha- sorry I'll, I'll let you go ahead and just just kind of your, your take it's, it's on an that. interesting it is an interesting subject because i suppose it comes the, the the first thing i want to say is that probably when i was a kid all farmers were heroes. You know, it was like somebody who's actually going to to kind of grow a crop, make you know, feed the world, and be part of something. And in a more romantic level, people who who gave up maybe a city job or or had a romantic notion to buy a vineyard and kind of start producing wine, this thing of actually doing something with the land was noble, honest, and quite beautiful. And I kind of come from this point where artisan food production. I come from a part of Ireland where 85% of all the artisan food producers in Ireland came from this one part of, of Ireland. It was this massive growth of people moving here and this kind of conviviality that led to this creativity. And and I so I grew up in a very special time where, where there was beautiful people doing good things for all the right reasons. And now Ireland is agriculturally blessed that we get a lot of rain we have a perfect climate we have a cold winter or a good summer it's the perfect cycle that we we just kind of embrace you know and and work with what we have we're in a kind of a rocky boggy part of the country and i know that sort of more the midlands more fertile areas of ireland kind of more for grain and everything so ireland is known for its agriculture and and it's basically our main income for this country it's one of the main ones you know that the gdp is made up largely of agriculture 
so I think to the one of the things is that in a very short period of time we've gone from being heroes to now you know maybe being knocked and you hear these kind of things of truth and yes there's there's huge elements of truth the entire world every time we get on the plane every time we waste every time we buy a plastic bag for our, our food everything incrementally is part of an environmental situation that we have to be aware of now waste and excess and all these things are are, are terrible. But in the end, we are still on a path where we have to to feed the world and do certain elements of it. So being doing it as righteously and as well as possible. What I tend to get more excited about and interested in is perhaps how we do that. So, you know, we do need to feed the world. There is ways of mass producing food that perhaps lead to bigger problems, um, like the use of, of pesticides and chemicals and, and, and taking shortcuts that don't help mother nature or our bodies so i think that i i kind of am quite a purist i realize that maybe i'd sooner see a thousand smaller farmers doing things in a good way than maybe i would about super farms and mass production i think that, that everybody would love to see a farm that kind of had a couple of pigs and a couple of cows and everything romantically that's beautiful but is it or isn't it more efficient than a giant very kind of precisely run super like big farm so to answer your question, I think that we are in a position in our place where we just always try to improve ourselves. We don't want to grow as a business. We aren't that kind of place. We are kind of locked in in the amount of cows we have produced, the amount of milk that we can make, and the amount of cheese that will fit in our curing rooms that we can wrap and handle with the staff that we have. The smokehouse is the same. We butcher as many pigs that will produce the amount of salami that will fill in our smokers. So we aren't in that position where if we grow, there is a knock-on effect. So just what we need to do is improve and constantly improve. So like, you know, getting rid of certain types of packaging, um, being aware of perhaps how we make things, the efficiencies, our energy consumption. So one of the things we're working on is is a thing called a biodigester, where we're going to basically take all the farm waste, the cheese whey, which is a byproduct of cheese making that can be used for things. In this case, all of this will be basically sort of let's say fermented and the gas that comes from that will drive a, a, um, a, 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 a combined heat and power generator 50 kilowatt um, a 50 kva sorry um, generator that will power the farm not all of the power we'll need but a lot of it and that's much more than perhaps if we put solar panels in every roof and gabine so if we can combine elements of solar efficiency um, the biodigester, which will create a lot of our energy, the digestate from that digester, which actually is better for our soil than the slurry and the the, the waste that we're using already. It's kind of basically nutritionally richer um, and more absorbable into the soil. If we can keep doing these kind of things and maybe look more at perhaps being as close to carbon neutral as possible, then I think what we have to embrace is that can we pass on things that we do, agriculturally speaking, to, to the next generation better than we got it ourselves? And I think that's what we kind of focus on. And I think that um, everybody just needs to keep improving. Now, the thing is, is that you can get utterly obsessed and and kind of run down and emotionally drained by, by just seeing yourself as part of a problem and perhaps looking at perhaps the solutions and bettering yourself. Because if you're not going to do it, if somebody else is, are they going to do it better? Just Just rise up, find a solution, work towards that and keep trying to do that as best as you can. And, um, and I think that's, that's all I can ever do is wake up every morning and just listen to people I look up to and admire and, and, and sort of try and find solutions to all of our problems that will eventually kind of, we can pass on something better to the next generation. And hopefully they'll want to, to, to step up to those challenges and, and go on from it. So I think that's maybe our selfish approach on us and our farm. 
And I think everybody has to kind of do that because the entire world is different and we do need to feed the world. I don't think the whole world is going to suddenly switch to become vegan. I don't think that, you know, you know, battery cars are a solution in some kind of ways, you know, that they are part of a solution. And, you know, there are, there could be at any stage, a tsunami or an asteroid that could hit the planet. There are at any times sort of the next wonder battery could be invented by just rubbing two magical very simple common ingredients together to get power there's a solution that's just around the corner and there's a problem just around the corner just fucking head down and drive on and do the best thing you can is my attitude yeah i i like the point you touched on uh, about like everybody having their own like smaller farms because a, a big industrialized farm if you have a virus go through that farm that kills the entire cattle every, oh, yeah, yeah. Every like 10,000 10, sow units or whatever else exactly and it's also it's also that's multiple farms with incomes as opposed to perhaps one farmer that may have several mm-hmm. employees now it, the efficiencies are maybe in the wrong area do you know what i mean i think that I the, the, yes. envir- the, the environmental impact i'm more curious about as a question the 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 the, the economic impact is probably quite different but yeah nobody likes the idea of sense of scale you know that, that there is something intimidating about about huge kind of mass buying but again environmental versus economic impacts are two different elements to to that side of things yeah and and to touch on the original point of people you know being against farms those people are gonna those types of people which seem to be a majority in the u.s um majority of them are in the u.s is what i mean but they would find anything to complain about, in my opinion. If, oh yeah, if, I, th- I think it's a if, lot easier. It's a lot easier to do that. I mean, again, like most most farms and stuff of like that in Ireland are probably inherited. You you step up to that, and I think that you can have the best wishes in the world, but to actually be able to to complete it and push it through. Now there are things that can be done. Maybe maybe a lot of farms should be converted to forestry, and 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 economically speaking, you can avail of grants and and kind of you know do things like that if if you if if that's where your heart is and i think that there it's going to take all types and some people if they don't feel like there is a solution to work towards that is probably a logical one to be part of and it'll maybe make sense but um yeah i think i think maybe the the one reason i'm focusing on 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 the way we're going to approach this is very much because i'm obsessed with food and food is largely what we're doing we are field to fork in, in one of those few yeah. places where we're we're literally producing we're rearing the the cows on our land to produce the milk to make the cheese you know and then the pigs that we're rearing here with the, the people who rear for us and like the dairy side of things is so much more naturally working within our environment you know cows and, and where we are i mean they fart <laughs> But but the thing is, is that we can grow grass very well and efficiently here. And, and fuck it, we make some really good cheese, to be fair. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Plus, yeah, the, the reason that I ask is just because I love I love the system that you have. You know, the 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 idea that you're, you know, farm to table. I mean, that that is such a rare thing, especially here in the U.S., where you've got, like you mentioned, these large industrial scale producers. Oh, they're they're everywhere, every, and, everywhere that does. There's there's a friend of mine who who works in Saudi Arabia, you know, producing and converting, um, you know, so sort of to make these large farms that make the sort of that fermented milk drink. And um, from space, you can see the, um, the 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 green circles of of you know when the water you know gets piped into you know the whole thing. I mean, when there's a will, there's a way to do everything. And, um, and I think that, that, yeah, that it, it is kind of fun, but I, I think back to the whole element of, of sort of the, 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 the I mean, to kind of the food and, and, and that side of things, what was interesting is that 
the doors that it's opened and maybe to because i look we can get, we can get stuck into agriculture and i, I don't think this is agriculture talk you know <laughs> so the, you know i think you you it, it's a huge part of it but i kind of keep bringing it back that um it's the the reasons why we do what we do and and what kind of gets you out of bed in the morning and I think that the people I'm, I'm very susceptible to and, and hugely kind of driven by the people around me. I've got an amazing wife who's an incredible lady. And I think she is my Jiminy Cricket. My parents are phenomenal and they've carved such a path that they've actually done so much work that I've kind of inherited this brand name that's both fucking really intimidating, but has almost automatically kind of sort of put me in a position where I just don't have to fuck it up. Just keep doing it as best as you can. And what's lovely about food is that, you know, there was, and I, I keep repeating, and forgive me if people have heard this expression before, but I mean, I love the expression that the way to somebody's heart is through their stomach. And I love that point. And it was like, like I was saying, like last night when I was catering, I was with some close friends that we, I mean, our, our biggest part of our communication is through food and, and our pleasure. I mean, we're just true fucking gluttons, you know, that there is these, we're surrounded by, and you know, it's those little pleasures in life, you know, those little orgasmic treats that we give ourselves, the, the food, the, like the seasonality of things, things that aren't always permanently there when asparagus comes out and when sort of blackberries on the bushes and these little things that just come and go that are kind of nostalgically quite wonderful and beautiful. But the um, food was fantastic. And I think that what was interesting was that I found myself with these beautiful friends um, through the culinary world, the chefs that could do things with food that opened my eyes to it and brought me more and more into that world. And that kind of to come full circle, then the knives, and not to probably repeat myself, but that, that element of actually making that tool was fascinating because it was a two-part, two-pronged kind of thing. Like I loved the, this 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 knife that became something else for me to learn because, you know, there's always something to learn in all these products. There's nothing fucking easy about fermentation, which is silage, cheese, salami, you know, bread, beer, all these products. If you get in any means or way cocky that I'm now a master, there's nothing I don't know about this. I have it down. <laughs> you will have your ha- your ass handed to you almost instantly. Something will go wrong. It's And it, it just, everything. And the funny thing is, I think that word artisan, which is a truly wanky word now that everybody's kind of like, you know, abused. It's like farmhouse. Do you have that kind of thing like farmhouse jam? I mean, like, there's yes. no fucking way that was made yes. by a little old lady with a pot on the stove, right? So certain words get manipulated and abused. But I think to, to actually take artisan is to somebody to constantly learn from their mistakes and to therefore learn boundaries. And as close as you can fly to the wind in within those boundaries of fuck up, chasing perfection in, in, in a very unforgiving field is a point where you have to, to refine to become an artisan. And, and, and again, I hate to call myself one and i love being called one (laughs) (laughs) there there is this thing is that that like by fucking making mistakes you have to solve that mistake and therefore learn a solution or means and a boundary to preventing that from happening over grinding blades heat treating whatever it is we've all fucked those things up and we know that problem before it happens um and to actually find that solution and how to swing it back into the sweet spot again so I think the, these 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 skills and these trades, be they food or craft, of riding the wave of of chasing perfection, is is something that's kind of beautiful. And the knife and and the other thing about food is what one person loves, another person will hate. Just like a knife, mm-hmm. God, you could cut a fucking tree down with that. It's a 
brutally big fucking edge geometry on it and it's blade heavy and you know i don't like the 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 the, the it's very bland and simple and somebody else's is just going to be i love the weight i love the balance it feels solid and strong you know thank god there's different people in the world thank god that we have different um, you know it'd be very boring if everybody was the same <laughs> yeah and and i think it you know it goes back to make truly and utterly what you love yourself and what you want and what you would like heed what other people are, are are telling you but you know definitely focus on what you think is right in the beginning and if you do have that proven wrong in the end then it, it's part of a learning curve but um i think well, that's so usually fair. the first part yeah because yeah, I think and- that one of the one of the things I found, and just I'll, I'll wrap it up with this, is is that the interesting thing back when I was kind of making knives and the waiting list and that whole element of things, I I always and, and very selfishly always had issues in sort of taking orders for knives that was a complete bespoke thing, and it is fantastic because it's the learning curve. You know, people will often have something to teach you. Don't be naive that you won't learn something from from bespoke orders and and, and customization and everything like that. But I am so much happier making something completely ad lib and and going with it because I found that the emotional rewards of of completing something that was a project from beginning, whereas making an order, you're focused entirely on is this going to be what this person wanted? Am I making this? Am I fucking it up? I can't see myself. Do you remember that film Chocolat? Where the, the did you ever watch that movie about the lady who knew what kind of chocolate you liked just as as you walk into the room? As a French no, no, movie. sorry. Yeah, it was, no. was it was was it Johnny Depp was in it? I think. And um, this French lady, she would walk into the room and straight away she would know oh, you love this salted caramel. You know, <laughs> it would be. You know, it was. It's like you you get a little little feeling, an inkling about somebody by just meeting them. Perhaps you know that they're a gung ho person that's going to be bang bing bang bosh or somebody else who's very precise and clinical you know these little instincts that maybe will help you if you meet a person to then make a knife for them whereas if you don't have those instincts and you're making something through through email or whatever else um and you know yeah so again i i've, I've gone completely off tangent and i've started monologuing but um <laughs> I think that 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 that, that yeah, the, the, this whole element of 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 the rewards of all of these things and the learning curves, yeah. So anyway, I spiraled off there. So if somebody bring me back in line. <laughs> also, no worries, not at all. Sh- we should never be afraid to learn from each other. And like back onto the agriculture thing, real quick, just a point that I wanted to make was you as an Irishman may have generationally <laughs> a different. Uh, perception or connection to your food than we do as americans you guys went through the famine you know your grandparents or great-grandparents did Mm -hmm. and we we've never had to we just walk down to the store drive down to the store buy as much food as we need and we bring it home we've as americans we've 100 lost our connection to our food do you know what the, the 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 one of the things is that i think going through hardship is very humbling and, and and educational. I think there's, I mean, the Irish became pricks very quickly when we became successful. The Irish are much nicer and much more fun when we're on the back foot. I think that we, you know, when whenever any culture gets gets too big for their boots, you know, that, that I think they get cocky and you start hiring people to do things for you. You don't see the rewards in the, in the simple pleasures in life. I mean, I think nostalgically, even the food that we like comes from that slow, hard-earned dish from cheap ingredients that gave a big flavor. And you can see that in a lot of European cooking that becomes a nostalgic love. Whereas, you know, if, if, if you just had fillet steak and, and sort of caviar all, you know, all the time, you know, you, you know, it, it's sort of, 
it, it comes almost not as rewarding in some sort of way as sort of eating salted pig's feet with you know, <laughs> green beans, as we call them. You know, with that sort of, I love how sticky you get when you eat it, but it just makes me go back <laughs> to my childhood, you know? So I think um, to kind of, I think that, yes, I think what, what part of our trait is that we, we, we've known hardships and I think that you have to learn that. And I don't ever want anybody to go through that but you do have to realize the the, the uh, culturally it it makes all the hardships we go through make us as people and if shit's fucking r- sunshine and rainbows and unicorns all day every day yeah you might become a prick yeah yeah it's uh, you know it's a, it's that adage that keeps getting repeated over and over and over again these days especially like strong men be- create good times good times create soft men soft men create hard times and it's, mm, yeah. it's it's cyclical. Good, good. It, I, I like know. that. I like that. I like the um, phrase. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense because it is true. You know, um, my grandfather's generation was way, way more hardy than my generation, mm. you know, yeah. and our kids generations. I mean, doesn't sound like your kids are going to have that problem, but a lot of kids. Oh, they probably could. They're, they're all they're all very different. So hopefully they'll have each other to rely on, you know. I yeah. think one of them is definitely sure shit gonna have to bail out another one. That's <laughs> how one of them becomes a lawyer. You know, that they were always gonna yeah. need one of those. <laughs> then you need a driver, the locksmith, <laughs> the explosives expert. Yeah. That's the benefit of having a whole crew of children is that they eventually just start to look out for each other and they're friends with yeah. each other. And you yeah. don't ever have to meet other parents at that point. Yeah, no, I grew up with sisters and they definitely stopped me blowing myself up a lot. My youngest, the, the youngest is a girl. And I think my, my wife won't admit it, but I'm sure she was, um, she was desperate. She definitely wanted to have a girl. I, I come from a long line of, of <laughs> this phrase might not come out well. Sorry. I come from a long line of powerful women, <laughs> 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 which means that my mother is, was a huge part of, of my life, a very strong lady. And, you know, I, I've known all these powerhouses of women in my life. And uh, my wife is one, and and I think that, and I've known all these amazing women, and I think that having a daughter is actually something I find quite rewarding, in, in respects that it's a different way of thinking. I actually, I don't trust men, to be honest. <laughs> I think I don't know. I'm a feminist trapped in a man's body, um, <laughs> so I, I think that yeah, I'm kind of glad to hear that she's um, that that there's a young lady in the in in the in the ranks and <laughs> in the works. <laughs> I've always wished I had had a daughter. I had sons, but yeah, eh, you know, men don't trust men. Women don't trust other women, and it's because oh we're yeah, men, yeah, oh they can they can know. be evil to each other. They can be wicked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you say we hear from Phoenix Abrasives? That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. And then I just have one more. We can actually bring it kind of back to knives, and then we'll top off the show. I think. Okay. Hustle and Grind podcast is sponsored by Phoenix Abrasives, your one-stop abrasive shop. When you go to phoenixabrasives.com, click the shop icon in the upper right-hand corner to find all the abrasives you'll ever need. Check out the Incinerator 36-grit ceramic belts, along with the Trizact gator belts that the hosts of Hustle and Grind use every day. When you check out, use code HUSTLE10 for 10% off your entire order. Thanks, Luke. Yeah, and I don't know if it'll still be going when this episode comes out, but there is a Labor Day sale going on um, with Phoenix Abrasives, so check them out. I, like I say, I'm not sure if it'll still be going on when this episode airs, but you can definitely go to phoenixabrasives.com and find out. Otherwise, 
Hustle 10 gets you a pretty solid discount. At least takes off the shipping, guys. So I actually um, never knew what Labor Day was. I think I, I was listening to a podcast today that was explaining it, but um, that was kind of a new, I'm afraid, the, 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 the foreign element is I've never really heard of Labor Day. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's, again, we go back to the, the cultural thing. You know, we, we, what we take for granted, other people have no idea what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, Labor Day. Um, is it always the same date? Yeah. Uh, is I think so. Is it the same so. date? I believe it's, it's not like the it's first... not like Easter that moves or anything. <laughs> things not based on a bank holiday or I believe it's the I... first Monday in September. I could be wrong. Me... I'm going to Google this because I don't keep up with holidays. I just know they exist. So it's based on a Monday. Uh, yeah, of course. So the date will always change. Right. So, yeah. So it's just a, an the extra first day Monday off of the... that we Americans get because because we work so we celebrate by not working do you have yeah. bank holidays we have a thing here called bank holidays have you that's yes just... yes we have so okay, labor so... day labor day is a bank holiday um memorial day which is um also on a monday that's would be considered a bank holiday we have president's day that would be a bank holiday um a couple of others i know stupid name now when you think back bank holiday What's so fucking special about banks? They would call it a bank holiday because of the crooked bastards. They fucking... yeah, yeah. bankers. What the fuck would we want to celebrate those guys? <laughs> Jesus. So I wanted to ask um, a little bit. So when I first heard of you was when I think I think you were on uh, an episode of Knife Talk early, early on in my career as a knife maker, and someone asked about your handles and so when when they were describing that the handles on your knives i immediately had to go and i had to look them look them up and see what it was that you guys were talking about with, with that the weird handles. fucking step in the handle <laughs> well that that's one way to look at it um so <laughs> they're, they're they've they've actually been and and I, I i don't mean to i don't know i'll just say it it, it was quite an inspiration to me um because the way that my my handles have changed very minutely over the the last few years of me developing the way that I, that I sculpt my handles. Um, but after hearing you describe the way that your handle step was, the one thing that I've always done is I've always ensured that there was always a flat portion where your fingers rest so that no matter how you're gripping the knife, you always have that little shelf there for your fingers to rest, whether you've got like a pinch grip or whether, you know, some people have hold a hammer grip um, as they're chopping vegetables and such. Yeah. Um, the Rory, of- Rory Connor, the guy who taught me had this fantastic uh, line you used to always use, which is you should always know, even in the pitch black, when you pick up a knife, which way is up. Mm. I always thought it was a very interesting kind of concept. I mean, like, look, if you know knives, you'll obviously know from the weight and the feel, but very instinctively straight away, if you grab the knife and you're blindfolded or it's in pitch black, you know, which, you know, where you are on that knife. So I guess my question is, is so what kind of inspired that, that drastic step in the handle um, for you to, to create that, that shape? Chasing, chasing something to be unique combined with uh, so form and function. I, I, I think I wanted it to be different. Um, I I kind of have one of those problems because so I suppose from working with meat and 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 cooking, I I have this wicked problem of climbing the blade a lot. So I had these very large kind of ten 
inch, if not longer, sort of big Victorian knocks kind of knives I was using for cutting lard on. There's a sort of diced up bacon, you know, cutting 50 or 60 kilos of this shit, you know, for hours and ends. And you'd get those blisters on your fingers. You kind of climb the blade up, you know, and sort of standing over it. And um, so I think what I wanted to say was that maybe the clever thing I could do is how do I prevent myself climbing up the, the blade? And um, I thought for shits and giggles, I, I made a knife where there was a, a, an almost like an indentation or a step for each finger. And I kind of realized, well, this is kind of stupid because what's going to happen is everybody has different sized hands. Right. So, and then you're going to have this two ways of holding the knife, the pinch grip and the, the sort of the classical way of doing it. So I reduced that down to, to one step. So the two fingers were one element and the, the other two, you know, leaving the thumb out of it uh, was in the other. Or you put your pinky in behind that step to become an anchor, as I kind of refer to it sometimes. So if you're holding with a pinch grip, your, your pinky went behind it. And that became this kind of grounding um, element. And visually, it's it's great fun because you either have this, this straight knife or you kind of had these shadows that were thrown by the step that served a practical and, and, and function. And it was designed really to be ambidextrous and left-handed, uh, you know, big hand or small hand. And I think looking at my, my early knives now, the step was much bigger and it definitely, definitely was sort of, it's become more subtle now and much more user-friendly across the sort of the size of things. But yeah, do you know when you, you, you get your teeth into a bone, I found something individual, something unique that was both practical and working and I was getting great feedback from it. And in, in, a, in another kind of way, to be absolutely honest, half the fucking time, all these selling points of that anchor and everything else, you almost hold the handle so gently sometimes with certain jobs that, you know, who gives a shit about the step on it? You're, you're, you're just, your pinky's barely squeezing it anyway. Mm-hmm. It's all up in the pinch grip or, or whatever else, depending on how you're cooking, what you're doing. And then for certain jobs, you do grip the knife completely differently. So it, the visual aesthetic is very important. It has to be comfortable in the hand and it has to work across the board of different people. And I think that's just something that I've just got that bone and I won't let it go. And I found that actually after a while, I could make that step work more user-friendly wise than I did when I was sort of making the more classical ni- knife that kind of had the um, the belly and the almost you know the very classic knife i kind of i remember in the early days i was making that almost too small and i found that if you had very large hands it felt you felt pinched between the choil and the and the end of the knife so yeah i think i think i just i found something that that kind of looked good and that was working and i just wanted to like 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 with the food just keep perfecting it and making it better and and it created this um this aesthetic that was becoming a signature that made my knife stand out and um yeah and i think if I could say that one of the things I find very important is that my knives have been kind of, I mean, I've been at it for about 15 or so years. And I suppose for the past 10 or so years, I've probably been flogging them more and, and sort of, would you know, it probably saw it as a trade. And so a lot of my friends who are chefs would have those knives and see them out there. And I, the one thing that will just always blow me away is actually seeing that knife years later you know, in a video, if they're on TV, if I pop into the restaurant, if I see a friend and it's on the fucking chopping board and that's a knackered knife that's being used on a regular basis. And I know damn well, he's got other knives. That's the fucking, that's the, that's the pride. Mm. That's the happiness. If you see that, you know, if he's coming back to get it sharpened after a couple of years and you see it used, then that's the, that's the thing. And, um, and I think seeing that enough, I kind of knew I was onto something because if I look up and I love those people and what they do, and if they're, if they're loving that knife and I can get that feedback from them, 
then yeah, I mean, if, if it was the total opposite, if those knives weren't being used and it was just because it looked beautiful and it wanted to be on the magnet, then, then fuck it, I'd be out there looking for a very different handle shape. <laughs> Yeah, that is a that's that's an immense feeling, I'm sure, and and it is a, a very distinct signature. I mean, it's it's you know it's one thing for me to be able to say that I can scroll through Instagram and I can you know I can see one of Ryan's knife and I'm, oh that's one of Ryan's knives you know because I recognize his style, but it's an entirely different thing when you've got such a signature look to where you could be in any situation and you can say oh that's a, that's one of Fingal's knives because it's mm. it's so distinct. Um, and not, not a lot of people have that. I mean, there are, you know, it's tough. I mean, how many ways can you reinvent something that's gone back to Flint, (laughs) Flintstone and Caveman? Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And I know, like I said, there's, there's, there's going to be more invent. There's going to be more tweaks in the future. Somebody else will find the the next thing and it'll be kind of different. And, um, um, so I, I suppose, yeah, yeah, no, I think I, I definitely, I definitely feel kind of lucky that i came across that and there was iterations of completely fucking god-awful knives and yeah a friend of mine has my knife that has the five steps in it which is kind of funny i must try and beg for that back at some point or get a photograph (laughs) of it (laughs) but luckily we have the same size hands (laughs) oh that works out well then but yeah yeah, you also said something interesting that i i don't think i've actually ever heard anyone else say which i really identified with is you said you found yourself riding up further and further up on up on mm. the blade and that's yeah, something yeah. So that like I, your pinch I grip is eventually with. it's like your pinkies behind the joil at some point it's like fuck that, that's where i've ended <laughs> up many times yeah. so yeah. yeah so if i if i especially when i'm if i'm processing an animal i you know i don't process pigs or anything like that but you know i'm, I'm a big hunter um and so and i i process you know i don't just process for myself i process uh for you know help other people and salvage deer whenever possible and that sort of thing so i i go through quite a few animals in any given fall winter and so i just you know as i'm caping i just end up i find myself more and more just riding up further and further along until my ring finger and then like you said your pinky is up underneath the choil and so that's always really been in my mind you know because i don't i'm not a chef you know i I can't i can't make knives for chefs if if i'm not i can make hunters because you know i hunt i know, I know what i'm looking mm. for in a knife and so that was um that was something that i noticed early on was that's how i like to hold a knife is i ended up holding it you know like you said halfway up the blade and you're barely even grabbing the handle the handle's just a counterweight at that point mm. um yeah. when you're caping but yeah anyways that was just very interesting i've never heard anyone else kind of have that same same thing that I have. So well, it's but incremental. Love- if you if you do one job just over repeatedly for a long period of time, and you just do that little thing that keeps you climbing and climbing and climbing. Whereas if you if if you if you're feeding family at home, you probably don't have that problem. As literally, I've got three sacks of onions I have to peel and cut. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know you, there is this kind of thing where where you know that kind of repetitive and bad habits. You you can you can where they come from is kind of fascinating as well. Why did you? I mean, you're obviously using the where we. I was probably using the wrong knife for that job. If I felt I had to climb up the blade, you know, the, there was obviously a number of other reasons that was making me do that. I just had the wrong tool mm. for the job. It's a very interesting, maybe, very maybe interesting fatigue. Point. Yeah, maybe you get you just like feel you have to be over it. You know, yeah. your muscles are starting to get sore. You're starting to kind of, and you're find, trying to find solutions. You know, they sort of say you should change your shoes three times a day. You know, just for different arch supports and whatever else and stuff like that. You know, so there is this kind of thing that you know, 
but hey look there's probably a machine out there that exists that would have cut that lot and we have one now <laughs> but i'm glad i cut 60 kilos a day for a lot of because it taught me knife skills yeah that's uh, fantastic. real quick and Noah, before we uh before we get out of here i want to do touch on we got a raffle going collab knife between me and Noah, yes. so we can buy big boy podcast equipment <clears throat> so everybody hit me up for that check out my instagram post and well, it's going on for the entire month of September. So I'm pretty sure everybody who knows us is going to hear about it by October. So, and, yes, go, go, and go where will you get all that information on it? Yeah. Yeah. Go, go to Ryan's Instagram. He's got a post um, at the top of his page. You'll yeah, see it. Pinned. And all the information is pinned at the top. So you can see how to enter. Um, very simple, very easy. And it's a beautiful knife that Ryan made out of a garbage chunk of sand my i don't know how he how he made that beautiful knife out of it but he did and it looks amazing <laughs> it's, it's ten dollars a spot unlimited spots it's worldwide i just ask if you're out of the u.s and you do win that you split the shipping with me oh That's you're it. very kind ryan yeah yeah i've seen a lot of people shipping is such a bitch but you know it, it's so doable nowadays if you just when you find that method and whole thing of doing it you know but um I think we like I I've lucky enough there's an account with UPS because of the the food side of the business and um, I think everybody has their own preferred way of doing it but um, I think that that it it is kind of the you know getting stuff around the world once you find that the the process because you remember in the beginning did you have any issues with kind of blades coming back and having harmonized tariff codes and not being able to use certain phrases and words but um the frustration of using regular posts I have a lot more luck with couriers than I do with with national posts you know. Uh, I don't have as many issues. I know I, I, one of my favorite podcasts is the fire and steel. So I listen to, to Toby and honor all the time. And Toby has some incredible issues with his, his, oh, but he's that... in England. Yeah. But he, they, yeah, they don't even start on Brexit. And, and I love Toby. Oh, bits, but yeah, I think that they're, they're learning, they're learning that shit now. But I mean, sadly they brought on themselves, not Toby, but I mean like UK. So they were suddenly thrown from, but I think that the, um, yeah, I'm, I'm being a prick now because I'm from Ireland. <laughs> hard time. It's what we do. We, we we ride each other. We give each other a hard time. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, it is this thing where you have new systems and everybody takes them so fucking seriously in the beginning that until you find a path and relax a bit and go about it and finding that, that again, the dust to settle and creating systems that make things run fluid and easy. But um, yeah, no, the, 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 it, it is... Um, yeah, it's it's just I'm kind of grateful. There's a lot. I, a lot of my knives kind of go over to the the, the four corners of Australia and America and, and a few things. And thank God for that and social media and everything where we can have clients all over the world. But uh, yeah, I have. It, it took a while to find a system to get to get stuff to travel easily. Yeah, I'm sure. on Tuesday I have to send a package to Australia and another one to France. Mm. the insurance oh, well. is the thing that scares the hell out of me because you know that whole element where you don't want to fuck somebody over by putting the full price of a, a knife on it because you know that's going to come across mm -hmm. as the tax and the vat but at the same time if that gets a lost you know i'm wearing that <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah for sure and that, that I, know, I, 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 I sent one to i sent a very small inexpensive knife to um actually to ireland and i think the the tax or is it vat is that what you said vat yeah 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 i, I think it tax. was um shoot 25 percent of the value of the knife when it when it got there oh, it's 23 plus the plus the, the the fees and the charges and the that oh, kind so of, of things. Off. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's 23 and, um, but they, they sure shit round up. Um, but like <laughs> it, it's, um, yeah, I think, I think that you, you see things a lot more affordable in the States. I mean, that would like when I was over in Atlanta, there's some things that are much more expensive and there's such that that isn't, um, the value for money, I think over there, but that's a sense of scale, you know, a big mm. country just having, having those kind of things in place. Yeah. It's regional too. Like, uh, mm. some stuff because every state is taxed differently. Yeah. Oh, so it must like, be a ball ache, you know, being able it to, is, you yes. know, being cross border and stuff. And, and if you live on a border, you know, is that, is that, does that make things even worse if you're close to another county and, and stuff? Well, maybe it, like uh, in or Maine, state. in Maine, we have 5.5% sales tax. Everything you buy, you pay 5% on. In New Hampshire, right across the border, there's no sales tax. So it's, you, if you live close to the border and you can just drive down, you know, drive 10 minutes into New Hampshire, buy what you need and save yourself a bunch of money. Yeah. So. But can, can those things kind of be claimed back if your businesses, like what we kind of do is that if you're, oh, for sure, if you, yeah. So like as a business, you, you can kind of claim your VAT back if you're, if you're registered for that. And then if you're a regular punter, like you're, you're eating that. Um, yeah. And then internationally, it's yeah, it, it it's because I mean, our, Europe is such a small thing. But look, this is this could get this conversation could get very fucking boring very quickly. And conspire <laughs> so let's talk about let's start talking. Does anybody have a dick joke or something? This, well, this we'll, we'll, save, we'll save the dick jokes for the after show. We're an hour <laughs> okay. and fifteen in. Let's uh, let's go ahead and head over to an after show, guys. Thank you so much for listening, Fingal. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been a, a very interesting conversation, and uh, we're very appreciative for that. Much and, better than uh, our usual podcast. Go ahead of that. Better than last week's, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Have a good week, guys. Bye.